there are six spots available. Uh, if there are any ladies that were not able to sign up uh, for the, the girly luncheon and would like to attend, they can speak with uh, Christy Hayes, uh, who's sitting there uh, in the back after the service. Uh, that should be a, a wonderful uh, event. Uh, but uh, if you have your Bibles, please uh, open up with me to John chapter uh, 8. It was shortly before uh, 2 a.m. Uh, on February 6, 1858, uh, when a brawl broke out uh, on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, the, the members of the House uh, were debating a proposed uh, state constitution uh, for the territory of Kansas. Uh, and this particular proposed constitution uh, would make... Uh, Kansas enter into the Union uh, as a slave state rather than a, a free state. Uh, and uh, the debate had begun the day before, and it had uh, escalated and continued uh, on into the evening and then into the wee hours of the morning. And it was at that point in time when emotions and tensions were high uh, that uh, a Pennsylvania Republican, uh, Galusha Grow, uh, and a South Carolina Democrat, uh, Lawrence Keat, uh, exchanged insults, uh, and then they exchanged blows. Uh, and remarkably, there were about 30 other members of the House of Representatives that joined in uh, on this melee, and the, the sergeant-at-arms uh, had to, uh, to be, begin to, to threaten some additional violence uh, with his own um, uh, mace. Uh, but ultimately, he was able to restore peace uh, and uh, things kind of dissolved into some laughs and jeers, uh, but uh, that's a little bit encouraging when we think about our own time of debates are so heated right now. Right? You, you bring up anything and it immediately escalates. And uh, you can really look at uh, debates as taking place on four different levels. Uh, the, the first level would kind of be an intellectual level where you are exchanging thoughts and ideas. Uh, and it would be great if all debates just stayed right there. Uh, but they quickly escalate usually to uh, emotional arguments uh, and then on to verbal assaults. Uh, and, and then, uh, lastly, uh, it may come uh, to blows. It may come to physical assaults. Uh, and, and as we come to the end of John chapter 8, we're going to, to witness the, the escalation of a debate. Uh, and this debate is, is far more important uh, than the debate about uh, whether Kansas should, should come into the, the Union as a free state or a slave state. Uh, and this debate uh, that we see and that we have been studying in John chapter 7 and 8 is far more important because it deals with spiritual uh, and eternal truths. Uh, truths that, uh, depending upon whether they are accepted or rejected, uh, will determine where someone spends eternity. Uh, and uh, as we have been studying uh, these, these chapters, the, the topic of debate uh, is the identity of Jesus. Uh, John chapter 7 and 8 uh, take place uh, during uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, which we get to read about in Leviticus tomorrow. Uh, and uh, over the, the course of about this uh, week-long uh, event, uh, that's when all of the events of John chapter 7 and 8 take place. And John chapter 7, verse 1, sets the scene that Jesus had been ministering in the northern part of Israel, Galilee, uh, because uh, there were people after him. Uh, the, re the religious leaders were seeking to kill him, so he wasn't going down into the, the southern region. He wasn't going up to Jerusalem uh, at that point in time because uh, it wasn't uh, his time 
uh, to die, in essence. Uh, verse 2 in chapter 7 tells us that the, the feast was drawing near, and uh, because this was one of the three annual feasts that all of the, the Jewish men were supposed to attend in Jerusalem, uh, it was expected that Jesus was going to, to go up to the feast and kind of lead in the caravan of uh, pilgrims uh, going to the city. Uh, and in the first part of chapter 7, Jesus' brothers say, hey, seize this opportunity uh, as a publicity tour. Uh, regain those disciples uh, that you lost uh, at the end of chapter 6 uh, from that hard message that you were preaching uh, and use this as an opportunity. And even uh, before Jesus arrives, ultimately he, he says this is not the way to, to go up into the city, uh, that he needed to follow the Lord's uh, timetable uh, rather than uh, whatever might be advantageous uh, publicity-wise, according to his brothers. Uh, and so in verses 7 or 10 through 13, you see before Jesus even gets up to the feast, he is the, the topic of debate. Uh, who is he? Uh, verses 12 and 13 uh, say that there was much muttering about him among the people. And while some said he is a good man, others said, no, he's leading the people astray. And yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly uh, of him. Even before he arrives, there, there's this debate. Who is he? Everyone is wondering, uh, what should we make of this man who has done so many miraculous things and taught in such a powerful and persuasive way? How should we understand who he is? Now, verse 14, uh, we see Jesus, uh, go, he has come up to the feast, and now he is uh, going up into the temple, and he begins to teach. And uh, this just creates more and more controversy uh, as people begin to con wonder, is this the Messiah? If, if he's not the Messiah, uh, when the Messiah comes, is he going to do even more things than what uh, Jesus has done? So there's all these uh, debates there. And then chapter 7, verse 37, we, we come to the last day of the feast uh, where Jesus stands up and, and makes a proclamation, uh, an invitation. Verse 37, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and whoever believe or come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Uh, and so Jesus extends this invitation, uh, but again, it just sparks more and more uh, debate about who he is. Uh, and the, the religious leaders had commissioned the temple guard to, to arrest Jesus uh, and bring him to them. And uh, the, the temple guard comes back empty-handed and they say, why didn't you bring him? And they say, have you heard him preach? Uh, this is not a normal man. And uh, then jumping down to chapter 8, verse 12, and when, when Jesus' identity is the topic of debate, he, he announces who he is. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus is announcing who he is. He, he's declaring that he is uh, the one who will shed light into all of the world. He is the one by whom we must see and understand everything else. And uh, he is the light that was promised to the Gentiles, uh, a, a title that was um, used to describe uh, the Messiah. Uh, Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, uh, speaking of the Messiah, God says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. 
And yet, uh, in all of this, the, the Jewish religious leaders refuse to accept anything that Jesus is saying. Uh, they refuse to believe uh, anything that he has done, uh, all that he has taught, and they continue to ask questions throughout this debate about his own identity. Uh, verse 19, they say, well, where is your father? You keep speaking about your father. Where is he? Uh, verse 25, they just flat out ask, who are you? Uh, and as we're going to see today at the end of uh, verse 53, they say, who do you make yourself out to be? Uh, and Jesus is going to, to answer all of those questions. And yet what we, what we are going to see is that the, the crowd and the, the religious leaders are going to be uh, repeatedly unwilling and unable to hear his message. Uh, indeed, uh, that is what we saw last week. Right? Jesus is, is going to tell them uh, they've been claiming that they are children of Abraham and children of God. And Jesus says, no, no you are neither of those. Uh, you are children of the devil. Uh, and uh, at the end of that section that we studied last week, verse 47, he's very direct with them. He says, whoever is of God hears the words of God. And the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So Jesus is, is speaking to people who are very religious, people who see themselves as being the people of God, and Jesus says, no, you don't belong to him. You don't know him. And the, and the way that he, Jesus knows very clearly and very obviously that they do not know God the Father is they refuse to hear him, the one whom God has sent. And so this, this really offends the people that he is speaking to and addressing there in the temple. A large crowd filled with his opponents and, and normal people and what we're going to see in our passage this morning in uh, verse 48 through the end of the chapter, verse 59, uh, is what we're going to see is kind of closing arguments in this debate. Uh, it's been a, a debate that's encompassed two chapters, and really this is going to be the, the longest uh, debate that we're going to see remaining in John's gospel. A lot of, a lot of back and forth. Uh, and the, the religious leaders are going to make a, a clear argument uh, concerning who they believe Jesus to be. Uh, and then Jesus, uh, in response, is also going to make a very clear proclamation about who he is. And this is an important debate, as I've been saying throughout uh, our study of these two chapters, because everyone in human history has to chime in on this debate. Uh, everybody has to land somewhere concerning who Jesus is. Uh, we have to do something with his claims. We can't just sit out there and we, we can't just avoid them. So uh, I'd like to, to read these verses together. Then we will pray and jump into our study of them. But let's read verses 48 to 59. The Jews answered him, are, you, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father... And you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. And yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, 
If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, and of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. And if I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. And so they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you as the holy creator, as the the author of Scripture. Lord, we thank you for these words. We ask that you would help us to understand them. And we pray that you would bless uh, the proclamation uh, and the application of your word to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we study this passage, uh, we're, we're going to see two closing arguments. Uh, and they're going to, to overlap with one another as they alternate back and forth. And what we're going to see in, in the closing argument of Jesus' opponents, they're, they're going to make three accusations against him. Uh, and as Jesus responds to these accusations, uh, he's going to respond just by speaking truth. Uh, and he's going to give uh, five responses or respond to five topics related to their accusations. And so uh, we're going to kind of bounce uh, back and forth. We're just going to march through the passage. It's going to be a lot of, a lot of points, but uh, we'll, we'll keep uh, pressing on, and I trust that it will be profitable. But if you, if you look with me, uh, first, at the, the accusation number one, uh, that, that the Jews level against Jesus, uh, is uh, going to be seen in verse 48. And, and since these are closing arguments, uh, usually in a closing argument, you don't present any new evidence. That there's no uh, additional information given. What you're saying is what has already been said, uh, but you're trying to say it in a powerful and persuasive way. Uh, and so uh, they come to this conclusion about Jesus in verse 48. In essence, that they are saying that Jesus is uh, an insane heretic. Verse 48, they say, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And the conclusion that they come to immediately after he says, You don't belong to God, then their conclusion is, Well, this guy must be insane. He must be crazy. He must be a Samaritan, meaning uh, he is uh, adopting a, a different theology. Uh, the Samaritans were kind of a, a Jewish half-breed, so to speak, kind of mixed in. And the two groups hated each other uh, because they differed in theology. Uh, and so they're saying, you must have gone over to the Samaritan side uh, and in order to believing that the Samaritans are the people of God and not the Jews. Uh, and so they're very hostile. And in essence, calling him a Samaritan is calling him a heretic. He's wandered away from the beliefs uh, of orthodoxy and into some other belief system. And they also conclude that he has a demon. Uh, and the implication being that he is insane. Back in chapter 7, verse 20, uh, they said, uh, when he said that they were trying to kill him, and they say, well, who's trying to kill you? Do you have a demon? 
Uh, and then in chapter 10, uh, verse 20, as we'll, we'll see in the future, many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? And, and again, we, we've talked about this in the past. If, if Jesus is insane, uh, then we, we can and indeed we should dismiss him, right? Uh, we, we've talked about those options of, of who Jesus uh, can be. Uh, he's either uh, liar, lunatic, or Lord. Right? We, ha- we have to land in one of those categories. But as soon as he claims to be God, as he has said repeatedly, then you cannot just say he's a good moral teacher. Right? If someone on the street came up to you and said, Hi, I'm God, what would you do? Would you be like, I'm going to follow this guy? Uh, you know, you, you kind of immediately would write that person off. Uh, because again, it's one of those two categories. Either this is true and he's worthy of being followed, uh, or it's not true and we need to dismiss him. Uh, and so they're, they are saying emphatically now, do not we, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And, and Jesus is going to respond to this accusation uh, in verses 49 and 50. Uh, and he's going to, to speak truth uh, about honor and glory. Uh, and uh, notice that as, as we go through this, this dialogue, Jesus stays kind of at that intellectual level of debate. He doesn't get emotional. He doesn't get, start to, to hurl insults or uh, resort to blows. He just speaks the truth, even when people are insulting him uh, to his face. They say, aren't you a, Sam- a Samaritan? Don't you have a demon? And he says, I don't have a demon. But, but let me tell you what is going on. I'm honoring God the Father. He says, and you're dishonoring me. This is the one whom God has sent. Uh, and Jesus uh, continues uh, in this, uh, emphasizing that if he were, uh, if he were insane, or if he were demon-possessed, he would be naturally striving and working for his own glory. He, he would be out to make a name for himself, right? Uh, that's what people do. But he says, no, I'm not about that. Uh, I'm not seeking and pursuing my own glory. But uh, he says he has come to do the will of God the Father. Uh, again, this is something that uh, has been stated over and over again. Jesus didn't come to uh, take selfies and post them on Instagram uh, to, to boost his follower count. Uh, he has come uh, to do what God has called him to do. Uh, he is doing the will of God the Father. We saw this in uh, John chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Then John chapter 5, verse 30, says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then chapter 6, verse 38, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And Jesus does not seek his own glory. He says, he says that very clearly in verse 50, Yet I do not seek my own glory, but yet there, there is someone who is on Jesus' side. There is someone who is seeking to glorify Jesus, and he says that's his Father. Uh, he says there is one who seeks it, meaning his glory, his honor, uh, and that same one who uh, is seeking to glorify Jesus is also the judge. So let God the Father be the judge of who is right in this situation. Uh, is Jesus seeking to 
boost his own name and his own reputation, or is he here uh, to glorify God the Father? And this is a, a remarkable confusion of honor here, right? Now, the, the Jews are, are thinking that they are honoring God, uh, and yet even in their, their vehement uh, op- opposition to Jesus, they are actually dishonoring the God they claim to honor. And we can be spiritually blind. Uh, we can be uh, completely wrong about where we think we are with God and what we think we are doing on His behalf. Uh, and so there's a remarkable confusion here. Now, but if Jesus did not come to, to win friends and influence people, why did He come to the earth? And this is, leads to the, uh, the second topic that Jesus speaks on in His response. They're saying, you have a Samaritan... Uh, or you have a Samaritan, you are a Samaritan, and you have a demon. Those are different. Uh, But uh, Jesus responds by speaking of honor and glory, and then he speaks about life and death in verse 51. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And Jesus makes a promise here. right? If anyone would, would keep or observe his word, the same idea as what we saw back in uh, chapter 8, verse 31, where Jesus said uh, to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. That idea of abiding or remaining uh, is the same idea of keeping his commandments, keeping his word. And Jesus says, if you keep his commandments, if you abide in him, then you will never experience or see death. And this promise is not referring to to physical death because uh, every single person is going to experience physical death. Even Jesus experienced physical death. But what he's speaking about here is spiritual death or what's commonly known as uh, the second death, uh, eternal uh, judgment and separation from God. Revelation chapter 2 verse 11 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And so, again, let's put ourselves uh, in the sandals of those who are there in the temple uh, on this day, this final day of the feast. Uh, And we just heard uh, the Jewish leaders throw the gauntlet down concerning who Jesus is. They say, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and that you have a demon? And how does Jesus respond? To insults to his face. How would you respond to such an accusation? Right? How did you respond the last time your uh, children disrespected you? Uh, Or your spouse disagreed with you? Uh, Or uh, your parent said something that you didn't like? How did you respond? You and I get upset just by reading something on the internet. Uh, and Jesus is, is being insulted to his face, and yet he calmly says, I don't have a demon. And he does more than just say, I don't have a demon. He gives them an invitation to be exempt from death. He gives them an invitation to salvation. Is if you, if you turn and look to me in faith, you will have eternal life. You will not experience spiritual death. You will not be separated from God. Think about that. He doesn't respond in turn. He is not 
he is reviled, but he does not revile back. Jesus gives an amazing invitation here, and it's an invitation that still stands. That if anyone would look to him in faith, if anyone would uh, follow after him and keep his word, trusting no longer in ourselves, but trusting in him, we can be saved from death, brought into fellowship with God the Father, rescued from our sin. This is what everything that Jesus has been saying in this debate. But this invitation is rejected by the people. It is scoffed at and just completely disregarded. They accuse, Jesus responds with compassion and kindness, calling them to look to him in faith. And all of this leads to a second accusation made uh, by Jesus' opponents. And this is seen in verses 52 uh, and 53. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. And yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And so uh, the crowd of people in, interpret Jesus' teaching as they have in the past, that he is only speaking of uh, physical matters. They, they can't comprehend spiritual things, so they always take him uh, literally. That What do you mean? Uh, how can you say that whoever believes in you will not experience death? How do you how do you say that? And they uh, they see what he is saying now as affirming uh, their first accusation. Uh, they said, "Hey, you're you're crazy, you're insane." And they're like, "Aren't we right in saying that? You just said that you can rescue people from death." But even Abraham and all of the other prophets, all of them experienced death. So how can you say that you are able to to rescue anyone from death? And they ask that question of it. Is Jesus greater than Abraham? And that question in verse 53, and the way that uh, the, the, the Greek grammar uh, works there, is they are expecting an answer of no. They say, are you greater than Abraham? And the, their expected answer is in the, the question. Uh, they're thinking no. And again, this is loaded with irony because Jesus is greater than Abraham. This is the, the same exact question that was asked by the woman uh, of Samaria in John chapter 4 uh, of Jacob. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Yes, absolutely. They ask this question. Uh, and the Jews believed uh, that Abraham had an especially exalted status uh, with God. Uh, that he was the one chosen by God to be the father of the nation Israel, and to him were given uh, all of the, the covenant promises uh, to the, the people of Israel. Uh, he, it was promised that the Messiah would come through him. Uh, when God called Abram, as he was known back in Genesis 12, uh, verses 1 through 3 say this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, uh, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so the Jews believed that God had shown Abraham his plan for the ages. Uh, and that Abraham knew and understood everything that the Messiah was going to be and everything that the Messiah was going to, to do. Uh, and yet... The Jews are saying, Abraham still died. 
And all of the prophets died. So, Jesus, how can you say that you can save people from death? Uh, And their accusation here is that Jesus is just a normal man. And their expected answer, are you greater than Abraham? No. That's what they believed. And they are just absolutely baffled by Jesus' claim. They reject his invitation to salvation. uh, And instead, they make an additional accusation against him. He is just a normal man. They ask that question at the end of verse 53. Who do you make yourself out to be? Who do you think you are, Jesus, coming in and saying these things? You've got some nerve. Well, Jesus has already answered that question of who do you make yourself out to be? He's answered repeatedly, right? And But he's going to continue to answer it here once again. We're going to see Jesus' response in verses 54 and 55, and he's going to speak truth about his relationship with the Father. In response to their question, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, and of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him. And if I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But you, but I do know Him, and I keep His word so over the the course of john's gospel jesus never makes himself out uh to be anything but uh the son of god sent by the father and he is the obedient son the obedient messenger not here to do his own will but here to do the will of the father Uh, and jesus points out that the one whom the the jews claim to know they, they claim to be in relationship with the one whom you say he is our god Jesus says, I actually know him. Uh, And then also, you don't know him. And his relationship with God is closer than their relationship. Indeed, they don't even know God. And then Jesus goes and kind of states a contrapositive. He says, "I I can't deny knowing him. If I say that I don't know him, I would be a liar, just like you are liars. So if nothing else, Jesus' intimacy with God the Father would make him unique among men. And his knowledge of God immediately separates him from every other person on the earth. Just the relationship that he has. The Jews claim to know God when they don't. They claim to keep God's word, but they don't. Yet Jesus knows God perfectly, to the degree that he can't deny knowing him. But he always obeys God's word and will perfectly. But there's more. So he speaks about the truth about his relationship with the Father, and then he gives additional support. They say, who do you make yourself out to be? Well, I relate to God the Father in this way. And then he makes it very clear. He speaks truth about being the Messiah. It's seen in verse 56. It says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And so, so building on their accusation against him uh, and their mention of Abraham, they say, are you greater than Abraham? And Jesus says, well, like, so, well, since you mentioned him, let, let's talk about him. Uh, your father, Abraham, he looked forward to my day. Now, now, if Jesus had been generic in what he said there, if he had said something like, Abraham looked forward to the Messiah's day, the Jews would have been in complete and absolute agreement. 
Because again, the, they, uh, they believe that Abraham knew God's plan uh, and that Abraham was looking forward in faith, just like you and I look backward to the cross in faith. Abraham looked forward anticipating what God would do. Uh, and what is seen here uh, is Jesus isn't generic. He doesn't say that Abraham looked forward to the Messiah's day. He takes uh, and applies the truth about the Messiah to himself. He gets specific. He says, Abraham looked forward to my day, meaning Jesus is making very clear that he is the Messiah, and he's making very clear that Abraham rejoiced to see Jesus come and to arrive and to come uh, onto the scene and to do all that he has doing. Abraham looked forward in faith in anticipation to Jesus. But again, this continues to build. And I think when, when Jesus says this, I, w- I would imagine that the people's mouths just would have dropped open. What? Abraham looked forward to, to your day? Is that what he just said? I think the people are absolutely flabbergasted uh, at this point. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Now, he, he saves his, his best and most powerful argument uh, for the end. And these, this is his, his closing statement. And in verses 57 and 58, he's going to speak truth about being God. Verse 57. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Now, the, now the age mentioned here uh, doesn't mean that Jesus was close to 50. Uh, the idea uh, in the, the Jewish uh, culture was that if a man uh, attained the age, age of 50, he had reached full manhood, uh, and he was done working. Right? Everyone likes that idea, like retired at 50. Like, hey. Um, uh, and that was the idea. He was done with his uh, work. Uh, and so they're saying, you haven't even attained to being done in, in your life. How can you say that you have seen Abraham? Okay, so Jesus wasn't close to 50. Uh, Luke says that uh, he began his ministry about the age of 30. Uh, but, but Jesus responds to this. So how can it be uh, that you have seen Abraham? And, and also, again, paying attention to some little details here. Uh, uh, the Jews reversed what Jesus said. Okay, uh, in the, again, in the Hebrew mindset, uh, the lesser looks to the greater. Okay, so when, when Jesus was, was speaking uh, about Abraham, he says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. So you have Abraham looking to Jesus uh, in what Jesus articulated. But here, uh, the Jewish question is, You've seen Abraham? So they invert things and say, Jesus, you've seen Abraham? They still have Abraham up here and Jesus right here. That's amazing. How can you even claim that, that you've seen Abraham? And then Jesus gives this response. Well-known response. This final statement in this round of debates. Uh, and this this statement is going to to make it very clear who Jesus is, who he is making himself out to be, who he has always said that he is. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Or or, 
there's a, a word play there in the, the Greek. Uh, maybe a better, uh, more accurate translation would be before Abraham became, I am. There's this difference between becoming versus being. Becoming has a beginning. Being does not. And that's what, what Jesus is saying. And he's also taking on the divine name. The name of God given in Exodus 14 and 15, or Exodus chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Well, when Moses is sent to the people of Israel, uh, and he says, well, God, if you're going to send me, I've got to give him a name. Uh, who, what is the name of the God who is sending me? And, and God famously says, tell them I am is sending you. Uh, I am who I am. So Jesus is very clearly answering every single question that has come up in this debate. Earlier they asked, who is your father? Well, very clearly, God is his father. They who are you? Jesus answers very clearly and emphatically that he is the son of God, the Messiah, sent by God to come to the earth and to save people from death, to save people from sin. Who does he make himself out to be? Well, he is God. Uh, and the Jews understood exactly what he was claiming. He was claiming to be co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent with God the Father. Everything that we saw back in John chapter 1. How did this gospel begin? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. All that is wrapped up here in what Jesus is saying. Saying that he existed before Abraham came into existence. And it was, in essence, Jesus who gave life to Abraham. And as the Creator, as the eternal God, Jesus should be worshipped by the Jews. Right? He is coming and revealing himself in this way. The Jews should understand uh, that what Jesus is claiming now lines up perfectly and completely with everything else that he has said and done. And they should receive him in worship. And while that is what ought to have happened, it is not what did happen. Look at verse 59. We see the final accusation that his opponents are going to make against him. In essence, that he is worthy of death. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And so they, they hear this statement from Jesus. Uh, and at this point, the crowd has moved beyond intellectual arguments. They've moved past emotional arguments. Uh, they've moved beyond verbal abuse. And they have arrived at physical assault. They are ready to kill Jesus for what he has just said. They have come to the conclusion that he is worthy of death. And in one sense, they are obligated uh, to do this. There's a sense in which they have to do something about Jesus making this type of a claim. Now, as we're going to, to read it in Leviticus, chapter 24, verse 16, says this, Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. Again, th this is why this debate is so important. If Jesus' opponents are right about him, 
then they should stone him right here and right now for what he said. He's worthy of death. But if Jesus is correct in this debate, if he is who he says he is, then he should not be stoned. He should be worshipped. And anyone seeking to, to kill and murder him is found guilty of seeking to, to kill and murder God himself. Now, what, what's amazing is I, I read that second part of verse 59. Again, this is one of those passages where I want to say, God, can we have more detail? Right? I want to know. We've all seen footage of uh, riots uh, and mob violence uh, here in the last year and a half. Right? Well, we know what that looks like. Um, how would you get away from a crowd that has stones in their hands and is ready to kill you. How do you do that? It says Jesus hid himself. And that is a possible translation, but it's, it's a, a passive voice in the Greek, meaning that Jesus is the one receiving the action. So another translation is that Jesus was hidden. Now, and I think what we have here is, is a supernatural escape. Uh, how else would he get through this crowd of people who are ready to to kill him right there on the spot? It's very similar to what took place in Luke chapter 4, uh, verses 28 through 30, after Jesus had uh, taught in the, the synagogue uh, and uh, proclaimed that he was the Messiah and that the day of the Lord had come. Uh, it says this, verse 28, When they heard these things... All in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Like, what did that, what happened there, right? Well, we don't have the details. But what we've known and what was seen throughout John's gospel, Jesus is not going to be arrested. He's not going to die. He's not going to the cross until the appointed hour. God has a plan, and all of his plan is going to unfold perfectly. That's what we see. But the sobering final argument that we see from the Jews here, right? The conclusion that they come to is Jesus must die and it's just about six months from what we're reading right now that they are going to be successful they're not going to stone him but they're going to get the romans to crucify him this has been a lengthy debate as we've worked our way through john chapters seven and eight Again, these are the, the closing arguments and jesus's opponents have concluded that he's an insane heretic He's a normal man and that he is worthy of death. But Jesus closes by speaking of honor and glory. He doesn't seek to, to glorify himself. He speaks of life and death. He's not insane. He's here to save. He's here to rescue people, to be in relationship with God. He explains that uh, who does he make himself out to be? Well, he is in perfect relationship with God the Father. He explains that he is the Messiah, the one that Abraham looked forward to. And he also explains that he himself is God. But why is all of this significant? Well, 
Back in 1961, uh, Nikita Khrushchev, the, the leader of the, the Soviet Union, well, was speaking to the, the Communist Party, and he was uh, giving a speech uh, against uh, religion. And at that point in time, uh, in that speech, uh, Nikita Khrushchev said this. He says, why should you clutch at God? And he says, look, Gagarin flew in space and saw no God. And he's speaking of uh, Yuri Gagarin, who was the, the very first man uh, to fly in outer space. Uh, first Soviet, first uh, human being to go out there. And later on in, in 1963, another Soviet astronaut, uh, Valery Boykovsky, or Baikovsky, told the media, he says that no Soviet cosmonaut believed in God and that none of them had seen anything to change their minds during their space flights. Well, somebody uh, joked and says, well, all an astronaut has to do to meet God or see God uh, is uh, step outside of the space shuttle and take off their suit. Uh, and they will immediately see God uh, in space. But uh, Christian author uh, and apologist C.S. Lewis uh, also commented uh, on this statement uh, that, the, that astronauts had, had been to space and they didn't see God. He says, Looking for God in space is like Hamlet going into the attic of his castle looking for Shakespeare. What a great picture of truth. See, God is not just uh, another object in our universe uh, that we can go and see and understand. The only way that we see and know God, uh, because he is the, the author and creator of our universe... The only way we see and know who he is is if the author writes himself into creation. We only know the author if he reveals himself to us, right? The only way Hamlet would ever know anything about Shakespeare, if somehow Shakespeare revealed himself to the characters in his play. But in the scripture, we see that God has not only written information about himself, he has made himself the central character. He, ha he has come down and revealed himself to us in his son, Jesus. And what we read this morning shows us who God is, what he is like. And what do we see in the character of Christ? What do we see in the character of God here? What is God revealing to us? What do we see from Jesus? Well, we see a, a hostile, hard-hearted people hurling insults at him and against him. And he calmly, lovingly speaks the truth to them. Promises to rescue them. They're insulting him and he says, if you follow me, if you trust in me, you will be rescued from death. You will be given eternal life. What a picture of the gospel, right? This is the God, the, the creator, the sovereign ruler of all things coming and revealing himself to humanity, specifically to the people that he said he was going to be coming to. And yet what is their response? They pick up stones. When God writes himself into the play, the characters in the play want to kill him. There we see human sinfulness. There we see 
unbelief. And again, there we see the, the beauty of the gospel because God is the one who transforms hearts. God is the one who saves. He does it through His Son. He has shown Himself to us. And now the question is, how will each of us respond? Jesus is not insane. He's not a normal man. And He was not worthy of death. The Son of God who existed from eternity past, before Abraham. He, was the one, he is the one who has given us life and breath and everything. He is the one who lived a perfect life, who went to the cross to pay the penalty for sin. He is the one who was risen on the third day, who ascended uh, and is now sitting at the right hand of God, who is ever interceding for us and acting as our advocate. That is who He is and who He has revealed Himself to be. Will we believe Him? Will we keep His Word? Will we be delivered from death? Will we worship Him in spirit and truth? All of those are the questions that hang in the balance as we see God revealing Himself to us and to the Jews of Jesus' day here from all that we have seen in John chapter 7 and 8. How are we going to respond? Let's pray.